welcome to the 134th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today, uh, Matt and I are just catching up. We've had a lot of things on our mind, and we just thought we would chat about them. They're all related to directing, so don't worry. This isn't just like our thoughts on politics or anything. Yeah, it's kind of been a while since we've had like a one-on-one episode, especially it's been even longer since we've done one where we didn't have listener questions as well, um, because we've been booking so many awesome new guests recently so that's really been great Oren, you've been working on a ton of new stuff i've been working on a ton of new stuff we haven't really caught the listeners up on what's going on in our lives and careers and how we can impart whatever wisdom or um, hardships that we have been experiencing over the last couple months onto you so our pain is your gain get ready everybody um, cool. But before we get into that, we'd love to remind you that we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place where you can go and support us. Give a dollar, four dollars, fifty dollars a month. No one's done that yet, but that would be cool. Yeah, um, that would pay for an entire episode of editing. We're trying to get our editors paid. We want to do more live events. We're planning on doing another one at the end of this year, a New Year's event, uh, another panel of directors. So uh, check it out if you want to support us. And if you don't, the podcast will still be free for everyone because you know we just like it. Yeah, because we just like it. So you, if you've got an extra buck or two and you think that you can help support the show and therefore help help support your fellow filmmaker, not just Oren and I, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about all the people who also benefit from this show, but maybe don't have the cash right now to help pay uh, people like uh, Jay and Chris, our editors. That would be awesome. Um, but I want to say also... One of the perks that you get is a little bit more access to the inner workings of the show. Like, we kind of consider the, the patrons to be the super fans of Just Shoot It. So, uh, for instance, when we're brainstorming topics for the upcoming end of the year event, um, we'll bring it up to the to our patrons. So, if you want to weigh in on that, if you have some insight, if there's something specific that you really want us to talk about, uh, being a patron is a nice way to do that. You can always access... Uh, us on Twitter and Instagram and all the other places, but um, Patreon is where I kind of find myself gravitating towards um, for the inside scoop on what listeners are really into. Well, great. Well, let's uh, let's catch up. Where how, where should we start? Yeah, we talk or about you? Uh, no, let's talk about you, man. You've been flying all over the place, doing all sorts of crazy stuff, writing a million treatments. Um, break it down. What you got for us? Yeah, I keep writing treatments, keep not getting jobs. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Your treatment game is getting better and better, too. Like, those treatments, if you compare the stuff that you've been doing now to what you were doing a year ago, you're much better. Thanks. Yeah, I was looking at some treatments from, like, two years ago, and I was like, wow, these are really ugly. Yeah. Uh, But the writing, you know, is kind of the same. I definitely go into more detail now, and I try to have like the writing and my treatment reflect the history of the project. So let's say I've talked to a producer about it, or let's say I've talked to an ad agency about it. I will have, I want to make sure that the treatment is entertaining and exciting for them. So I will kind of reference the things we talked about. uh, And I'll try to fine tune them to my audience more, Mm -hmm. which is something that I didn't always used to do. Yeah. Pretty smart. But, um, but yeah, I've been, I just wrote a treatment today for uh, a cracker company cracker commercial and it's just exhausting i tried a new style of treatment where like i every single page of the treatment is a full page photo page and all the text 
has to be laid out on a photo. So you can only use very specific photos that have a lot of negative space. Um, but then you're, you know, you're still trying to communicate a very specific vision uh, by, by using other people's work. It's so hard. Um, yeah. But, and uh, how many pages is this deck? This treatment that I made today, I think, is like 25 pages or something, 28 yeah, pages, pages, something yeah. along that. So you sourced uh, 25 really killer, giant, high-res, full-bleed images and then yeah. integrated graphics and things into them. Yeah, it's quite a bit of work. Honestly, when I was looking at it, I was like, geez, Louise, why do we do this? Like, it's so, <laughs> it, it, the task of creating a document like that is so different than directing. And I think it's really valuable to like have to think through the things that you actually want. Like, I love writing a treatment, but as soon as I get into selects, it's just, I get frustrated because it becomes a little bit about how good you are at Googling things and less about your vision, which is why I admire so much that you actually will just shoot things yourself or, um, or yeah, well, I so Photoshop, Photoshop. Yeah. Like 50% of the images in my treatment are Photoshopped in yeah. some, some way. Um, but it, you know, the most common thing I do is I'll like remove logos or I'll, if there is any logo or any product in any shot I'm using, I'll always change it to be the one, yeah. the product for the treatment I'm writing. Yeah. That's a great detail. But it does really force you to think about this project. Like this one that I wrote the treatment for today is a commercial campaign. It's three commercials with this celebrity comedian woman. And uh, she's sitting in a chair in front of like a colored background uh, giving tips about party planning. That's kind of the premise. I was like, okay, that sounds easy. Colored background, chair, easy, right? But the more I was writing the treatment, I was like, well, what kind of chair should it be? And is like a colored background, like what's a colored background? Is it like a white psych with like a colored light on it? Or is it a painted flat? Or is it a colored curtain? Or is it wallpaper? Uh, so I started like going on a deep dive into all the types of things that you can, you know, make a wall, how you can make a wall look. And then what kind of decorations? Because one of them is kind of holiday themed and one of them is a little bit more office themed. So how can... I use like certain decorations. Also, the budget is not huge, so I need to be budget conscious and we don't have that much time with the celebrity, so I have to be schedule conscious. And it really, you know, I start really thinking a lot about things and thinking of solutions. And hopefully that process of like getting, going through right. every single element of a production uh, before you even get the job is what will give you that one idea. So I came up with this idea in the script. There's this part where the this woman is listing a bunch of different types of parties you can have and in the script they wanted to just have graphics for each type of party but i kind of came up with this idea of doing a split screen and shooting since we have a full day of shooting but we only have her for a few hours oh great yeah so i know go. now i have four open hours to shoot whatever i want so why don't i shoot like cool inserts that uh are like iconic images based mm -hmm. on the things she's listing and sure sure fun split screen and stuff. so, so uh, if you're doing a so if you have well, she says like a kid's football, birthday party a kid's birthday party. Great. Yeah. So it's shots of cake and presents and a cool pinata and all of that stuff. Yeah. And so my um, idea was like, it's just overhead tabletop shots because mm -hmm. uh, there are different types of parties. So kid's birthday. Yeah. You, you dress the table for a kid's birthday yeah. and then cool office party. It's like crackers. a stapler and like a, you know, whatever Susan from accounting's turned 40 or whatever uh, on her cake. Um, so if it's like an adult party, it's like some bottles of wine and, some ecstasy. I don't know. I don't know what people do at parties. I don't go to parties. Yeah, it, and that's how adult it is. They call it ecstasy, <laughs> and not Molly. Not Molly. 
I bet you they're calling it something else by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I know what they call it. Then, <laughs> but uh, kids aren't even doing it anymore. Um. Anyway, so so yeah, it's it's worth it and it's fun. But then you know you always risk pitching some idea that they absolutely hate, <laughs> or saying one thing that they find like a little offensive. Uh, for this treatment specifically, like the head of production at the company at the famous group was like, yeah, they just want to get to know you on paper. Cause I already had a call with these people. Mm-hmm. They just want to see that you're a funny person. And so I wrote this entire treatment, uh, this entire introduction to my treatment about what this treatment is going to be. Like I made a page called how this treatment is going, is going to work. And my, I ended up keeping just that title, but I changed all the text. But my original text was like, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you your idea is fucking awesome. Let me break it down. Yeah, I'm gonna kiss some butt up top. I'm gonna like have an easy joke. You are gonna (laughs) politely laugh. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Then when I have no idea, I'll put ten images and really funny captions on them uh, to try to make you think I'm cool or whatever. At the end, I'll probably remind you that I'm excited again and say thanks for the opportunity. And then like my end text was sure. It's like I'm so exactly that. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, Yeah. But then I was like, no, that's so like cheeky. It was like too much. I felt like it wasn't about selling my ideas and being honest and sincere it was like about trying to be funny you know so i ended up cutting that whole thing out but um but it's crazy and the the last crazy thing about this treatment and then we can move on to the next topic i apologize uh but the crazy thing is i heard about this job two days ago and it was a single bid situation where they're like Mm -hmm. orin they just want to talk on the phone with you get to know you know that you can direct like a comedic performance out of like a well-known comedic actress. Uh, and then we're just going to give them the bid and then we'll probably get the job. <laughs> and so we had the call and everyone's, everyone said the call went great. I felt like it went pretty well. I had a few jokes bomb, but that's pretty normal with me. Yeah. And uh, that's also a conference call. Like that just happens. Yeah. But then that night they're like, okay, so, oh, and there was supposed to be no treatment, but that night they're like, okay, so now it's a double bid situation. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. They really loved you. And they were like, wow, if this director has so much experience, maybe we can find another director also to throw in the mix and then get more ideas. And yeah. so now, now basically my entire day is shot making this treatment for this job that I thought I had yesterday. Anyhow, the lifestyle of the freelance director, <laughs> commercial yeah, director. Man. Yeah. I feel like it's a funny thing where so often, you're like, oh, a single bid or like, you know, you, you just get the job, but then people are used to being there. They're used to you walking your them through your vision, right? And so we've all just kind of agreed that the the way that you do that is with a big old treatment like that. So I actually uh, booked a job where it was single bid and kind of lucked in my way into it, kind of fell in my lap and didn't have to pitch a treatment. But then afterwards, they were like, oh, well, how will you walk us through your vision? And so I was like, I'm going to make a director's statement. And I'm not going to do the bells and whistles of like a totally tricked out awesome treatment because I'm better at writing. And I'm going to pull reference images and things like that. But like the thing that I do is like write for you. And so if you read this document and you look at the pictures, you're totally going to understand everything. But I'm not like my abilities to do layout and Photoshop and all the things that you're so much better than me at. I just, I kind of set the rules of like, I'm not going to do that because it's going to take me four times as long to do half as good a job, you know? And so hopefully no one's underwhelmed by it. You know, like that's a little bit of a gamble, 
Um, yeah, not really. Not if you have the job. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but yeah, that and it makes sense uh, on this. Well, so I did this job at Walt Disney World last week. I talked about it before on the podcast. Um, and they told me like after I got the job already that the client wanted to see like a treatment, a director's treatment mm-hmm. and storyboards. And so I worked and did all these storyboards and everything and revisions and all that stuff. And then they're like, you know what? Let's not share the storyboards with the client. It might, we just don't, don't want to open up a can of worms for mm-hmm. too many notes. Yeah. And you're like, great. Well, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to write the treatment tomorrow. And then they, they made this pre-production book without my treatment. I was like, what? I thought you guys wanted a treatment. They're like, nah, it's fine. They like you. Don't, don't worry about it. But I was going to do what you're saying. I was going to write like, one page, basically, just text mm-hmm. talking about the inspiration for how I wanted to shoot it, the tone, the comedy, the performances, and how like how I work with actors. I don't know. Recently, I've I've never really talked about that much before, uh, yeah, but recently in comedy, yeah. people really want to know that you can work with comedians, mm-hmm. um, which might be a perfect segue actually into another topic that I wanted to talk about. Let's hear it. So on the call I had with this Cracker commercial agency people thing yesterday, they asked me a question, which was, tell us about how you work with comedians. Like, what's your method mm-hmm. to work with comedians? And I was curious if somebody asked you, Matt, that question, what you would say. Did they say it with the with improv in mind or no? They had brought up improv. It, mm-hmm. the, their script actually literally has an asterisk on every line of dialogue that they thought they would like to have the actress riff on. Gotcha. Like, yeah, yeah. Because I think that there's a a few important things to just be aware of in terms of how you craft a comedic performance with a uh, an actor. You know, there's a few buzzwords that I'll use because they're honest to my actual approach. I'll say collaborative. I'll say... Um, you know, I'm improv friendly, I'm bit friendly, I'm game oriented, you know, sometimes depending on how, um, how inside comedy they want to get, you could talk about that, you know, but, um, but for the most part, I say that I always make sure that we get the scripted piece first, first, and that if there's something that really needs help, I'll kind of work with the team of creatives to really kind of punch things up or clarify things or whatever it is. I always get it scripted first, and then I will create an opportunity where we try things out. So um, I like it best when we have kind of controlled improv where you're tagging an idea or like alting in a line here or there. And then I also always want to get a silent take. I want to get the nonverbal reads of all of these pieces so that I'm getting the reactions from the other characters because I think so often a reaction is the funniest thing in a video. A slight tangent. Did you see the um, the Pulp Fiction Brett Cam- Kavanaugh uh, mashup from this week? <laughs> no, I saw I saw a headline about it, but I didn't watch it. Dude, you got to watch it. It's so good. But so basically, it it cuts the Kavanaugh hearing in with the restaurant scene. No, the scene when um, Samuel L. Jackson goes into the um, apartment of the guys, the the big oh yeah, yeah, scene. yeah. And he's like, look at the brain. When I walk in the valley. You know, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That scene. Um, And they cut it together so well. But the funniest parts are the silent reactions from Lindsey Graham and Brett Kavanaugh. It's so funny. (laughs) But like them looking 
as though like Sam Jackson has put them in their place is the funniest part, even though it's an incredibly clever video the whole way through. So I recommend that. Right. That's like a, it's just a really great illustration of how a reaction is clearly the funniest part of a video. Right. Well, so I think I've heard you say that before this idea of the silent take, but really have you done that? Do you do that on every shoot? I know, but I try my hardest and I never um, regret it. It always feels a little awkward and I haven't honestly mastered the approach, but I think that maybe I'm going to try in the next thing that I shoot where it's appropriate. I'm going to have the actor, I'm going to just do it once, one side at a time, basically. So when we're pointing on one person's coverage, I'm going to have the opposite person still deliver all of their lines. And then look, there's going to be moments where it's going to feel dumb or it's going to be awkward or it's not going to be possible, you know? And we're just going to kind of like stumble our way through it a few times and then, um, you know, fight for it and see if we can get it, get those pieces. I just wish somebody was saying that thing with a look, which is the other thing that I'll do sometimes. Sometimes I'll say, hey, instead of huh or what or no, you know, single word pieces, I just say, say that with a look this time. Right. I might have spoken about this on the podcast before. But did I tell you that when uh, I did that thing for Ellen where Neil Patrick Harris is talking to kids Mm -hmm. and I was sitting in the edit bay with the editor, he said, oh, you know, some directors will just do a whole take where it's just the kids doing different reactions. He's like, did you get that? And I was like, no, but that would be so helpful right now to have. Just a passive kids going like, now pretend that I scared you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, giving a weirded outlook, like something you could literally just direct them to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, everyone, now everyone's surprised. Now everyone's disappointed. Now everyone's laughing. Now, now everyone, turn your head this way. Turn, turn your head yeah. that way. Yeah. Look at each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, obviously the reactions reactions are really funny in comedy. I guess my answer was like 100% unrelated to that, except for the improv part, potentially. I talked about improv and how, from my experience, most comedic actors, especially like the celebrity ones, don't really want to write the script for you, <laughs> which is kind of what a lot of agencies set them up to do, you know? Yeah. Um, they'll be like, just have them like riff on the car, but they don't give them anything specific to say about the car, you know? Right. And then they'll say something and they'll be like, oh no, you're not allowed to talk about like how fast the car goes because we were having issues with the engine regulation or whatever, Right, right. you know? And so there, it's just a bunch of really a waste of time. And at the end in the edit, especially when you're making something short form, you end up just like, you're using less of dialogue than what you even scripted, let alone the improv. Just like the amount of improv that gets used in commercials is so small, unless it's like Will Ferrell, like just giving a monologue, that it's, you know, it's just this myth that that it's so important to get. I would say that I think controlled improv as a as a term is very valuable. I think like even if it's just setting a tone for the way that you want to run your set, I think it's valuable, but also I think tags specifically, like putting a button on a scene or like swapping out one-liners effectively, I think is really valuable. But I think that there's a huge difference between branded content, which doesn't necessarily have a specific runtime and a 30 second spot or a 15 second spot. If you have a really specific target, like you don't have the opportunity to like mess around with someone going on a long run. 
Right. And by the way, we're doing 15 second spots yeah. with like an end card and an intro sequence. Yeah. So the improv better be like, huh? What? Holy smokes. Wowie zowie. Yeah. And I totally agree with the button and stuff. But So what I told them is like, look, we'll say like, here's a good place for improv and here's a good place for improv. But by improv, we mean just like one different thing that makes you want to gag, right? Or one different thing that your kid did that's embarrassing, right? And then I'll come to set with like five ideas and I'll throw them out for yeah. the actor. I'll throw them out a couple times. Like say, you can say this or this or say something that you want. And then if they're the type of actor that's like, ooh, I got something, let me go. That's great. But if they're the type of actor that's like, okay, what should I say? Then that's also fine because I'm ready to tell them things. And so the other big thing that I brought up, which I find incredibly helpful is just the more time I get to talk to these actors before we shoot, the better, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a phone call or an email or anything, because if I can get their feelings about the script before we're shooting, it saves us so much time on set. Like, I'm sure you've been on set with something on a project where you have an actor that doesn't really like the script mm-hmm. and you're like trying to get them to say the words in the script <laughs> and they're like, eh, this, this doesn't feel good. And then you're spending all this time on set, like trying to make it feel good and protecting the writer's feelings and everything when you could have really just like hashed it out beforehand and then, right, right. And then brought it up with the writers and found something that works for everyone. So I don't know that that was a thing. That was kind of what I talked about is like my prep with the actors, my uh, prep for improv, like that I, I as the director need to prep mm-hmm. if my actors are improvising and especially if they're like a celebrity because they they know there's so much more pressure on like a celebrity mm-hmm. comedian improviser on set than there is on like anyone else because we're all like, hey, Seth Rogen, say something funny right now. Right. And we're judging him and everyone's like, eh, yeah, it's not that funny. Wasn't that funny. You know what? He's not that funny. I always knew he wasn't that funny. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. And you have like a hundred people watching you do this yeah. <laughs> on a schedule. Anyway, so cool. Well, that was uh, that was what I wanted to talk about. That, yeah, let's talk about one of your things, Matt. What you're, You've been show running a show. Yeah. For crying out loud. I have been Facebook show running Watch. a show. Yeah, yeah. Sh- I'm, I'm doing a show called Undivided Attention for Facebook Watch. We have a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, I haven't gone to see it yet. Is your face on it? No, that'd be great. I pitched that. They didn't go for it. <laughs> um, What's on it? It's like the logo and all of that stuff and a few of the hosts. And the hosts are all influencers, right? Um, so they are, there's a range, basically. So some of them are kind of more specifically influencers. Some of them are a little more uh, issue or topic oriented. The show is like about, it's like sketch comedy mixed with current events. So we'll break down and explain a a topic or a, or um, an idea that is in the zeitgeist and in the news right now. So like um, we're doing one on the 25th amendment, right? So that's like the amendment in the constitution that says like, Oh, um, it explains what happens when a president is no longer capable of doing the job, whether because they have died, in which case there's a succession section or um you know, if they're unfit for other reasons, right? Like mental incapacity or uh, medical issues or whatever. So, you know, it's a thing that um, the a lot of people have been talking about. Rod Rosenstein, Rod, sorry, Rod Rosenstein and like... Um, he claims he was joking about it. <laughs> well, still, he joked about it. Uh, and it was re- referenced in that New York Times op-ed 
from like the the inside the resistance stuff so we talk about the history of anyway the point is is like we kind of (laughs) go deep on something that you've heard about but maybe don't totally know um the actual details of so like you can sound smarter at your dinner party um that episode is one of my favorites but so we had um a person who's a little bit more politically oriented and a little less uh lifestyle oriented for that one for instance basically um but so yeah i'm show running and directing and it's um it's a those are two different jobs it's a real handful um right so what are your responsibilities as a showrunner sure so as a showrunner i am not just so directing basically kind of boils down to pure execution right like i run the page turn meeting where we go through every single um segment and sketch and break down you know what prop needs to be what and like you know what the costume needs to look like and the uh this actor needs to be so and so tall and this one needs to be this type and that type kind of like just going through the minutiae it's like a production it's mainly about actor heights uh well sometimes there is like (laughs) we did an episode on high heels so i needed someone who was going to be shorter than the other person for instance um but so you know but the, the specifics of each um, seen on a granular level, granular. Wait, but you're level. you're in the writers' room before this. But before that, right? yeah, I'm running the writers' room. I've got a head writer, so I'm kind of popping in and out, making final decisions on what alt, what like what line we think is funniest. If they've like written a couple different versions of that line, um, gone through things structurally, and uh, kind of just kind of you put the final touches on it before I take it up to do a table read with all of the higher ups. So there's like a whole other level of founders and uh, editors and chiefs and, you know, kind of like the the top brass of the company that I'm working for that, you know, I have to interface with pretty regularly and get their thoughts on it. And then there's the whole side of like the Facebook of it all and kind of making sure that they're interested in the show for the right reasons and looking at the analytics and all of that stuff. So. And it's a weekly show that you shoot every week for, That's right? correct. Yeah, yeah. So we shoot, um, we write, shoot, and post every week. So it's a five to seven minute long show. Um, and so, you know, just kind of dealing with the budgets and production issues of that um, is also part of it. So, it's you know, it's not that different than directing, but with a couple extra layers and a few more balls in the air. Right. So you have like a line producer and you mm-hmm, figure out with them like, oh, well, we got to spend a lot of money on this part. So we got to spend less money on this part. Mm-hmm. Like, correct. How, how involved are you in that? Yeah. I, you know, I'm fortunate in that my line producer is really um, good about anticipating things down the line. But yeah, certainly there have been issues where she has said to me, hey, listen, I know you want 45 extras for this, but you can only afford six. Right. Um, but because I'm in the writer's room, one of the things that I'm weighing in on is the executability of the uh, sketch and the idea. Like I, the room is filled with writers who are funnier than I am, um, which is why I hired them. Like they're awesome um, and super smart. And Wait, really, so you hired all the writers? I hired there. two of the three. I inherited a head writer who was great also. Okay, cool. And were they friends of yours, or were they just writers you knew of? Uh, I did not know. Or did you get uh, applications? Either or, of them. Like you, you read samples? Yeah, yeah. We kind of put the net out, and I had like a specific. I knew I was only going to have four bodies in the room, including my own. So I was like, okay, well, let's make sure that 
if I and the head writer is male. So I was like, okay, well, we should get two females. So I just kind of only read females, and um, we kind of went from there, basically. And also, because it's got a current and new, current event and news angle to it, and I come from a much more pure comedy background, I um, I knew that I needed to beef up the room with some nerds, basically. So the the profile gets like pretty specific pretty quickly, and so we just kind of put the word out and read some packets and interviewed people. And is this like a full time job? Yes, yeah, basically. With like a full time job type of salary. Um, it so I am on. Uh, right, sorry, I don't mean your sure, job. I mean the writer's yeah, job. Yeah, so they're on. You know, they're they're freelance the same way any other person on my crew is freelance. So, okay. um, whether we, we, we didn't guarantee a certain number of days or anything like that. Cause it's basic, it's based on what the show needs basically. Right. I guess if you were a writer that got this job, I'm just asking to, you know, just kind of help paint the picture of like the working environment in LA. Like if you get a job to write on a show for Facebook watch, do you still need to look for other jobs while you're doing it? Or is it enough to like pay rent and live? Oh yeah, no, for, it's it's definitely enough money to pay rent and live. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean you. I mean the writers. No, I know. That's what I'm okay, saying. Okay. Yeah. 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 Th- those jobs are pretty good because they are, you know, people take meetings and you know go to coffees and things like that. Um, it's not that they're not still hustling, but um, the rate is competitive. You know, and to be honest, also like I kind of. Um, there are certain things that I loop myself in on and certain things I don't. And I kind of don't want to know what everyone is making. I just made sure that it was equitable, equitable and fair and that everyone was on the right footing, basically, based off of, you know, experience and workload and position and all that stuff. And from there, I'm kind of hands off on it. Cool. Well, so obvious question is, do you think the show running helps your directing or hurts it? I So the reason that the idea of running a show appealed to me is because it is an ultimate ambition of mine. And I think that the difference between show running on a digital show and show running on a network TV show is pretty vast in terms of infrastructure and things. But like the mental gear shifting of like being in post and then running into the writer's room and like having some fun and punching some things up and then running into a budget meeting and then looking at casting and then, you know, kind of like that, the spinning all of the plates and then also being a business person, you know, being able to go in and sit down with some suits, you know, was a thing that I haven't done since my comedy central days for a long period of time. You know, like you do it in fits and starts on branded pieces and commercials and all that stuff. The kind of that extra layer is the thing that I think has helped you and I um, book. You know, it's not just that we're talented directors. It's also that we have a business acumen and ability to be in a corporate environment. And um, so I knew that I wanted to take all of the experience I'd had directing and doing a lot of the same work on these the long form digital series, you know, you do a go 90 show and you end up doing a lot of show running and like on townies, I got a co EP credit for that exact reason. I knew that it would be valuable for my career 
and would help me in that sense? Does it make me a better director in a pure director sense? I think it helps me understand the machine and the money and the logistics of things better. But on a craft level, no, it does not make me better. Except for I get to practice every week. Right. But yeah, I mean, I guess you have more insights than your average director, but you're also a little less focused on directing. Yeah, I will admit that today I was reminded that there's a good reason that directing and showrunning are two different jobs. Because I would argue that plenty of showrunners, if not most, um, could totally direct the shows that they're running. But the demands of running the show are different than the demands of production. You know, when you're on a shoot day, you really need to be focused on the shoot basically the whole time. You know, especially if you don't have big turnarounds where there aren't any breaks built in. You know, like the we were shooting studio stuff today that was basically hosted directed camera on a white psych. So when I called cut and said, okay, moving on, new size, it was as simple as zooming in and we were ready to shoot again. So the rhythms of production are just much faster. And so you don't, it's so nice to flip the room every once in a while just to give yourself a break, you know, check your email real fast or whatever. And like, you don't get to do that in a, a hosted style style show. And so I felt the squeeze of having an edit to deliver and trying to message people on my phone in between takes. Um, right. You know. All while I'm like texting you like, hey man, the episode title is messed up. <laughs> I don't mess up episode titles, Oren. Ooh. I, I did, bold. I did actually skip a, a couple website posts there. That's awesome. What else? Was, oh, so final question about this show running thing. Probably the thing that our listeners would be the most interested in by far is how did you get the job? Uh, the line producer put my name in the hat. She knew that. And how uh, did you know the line producer? Um, through College Humor and through friends. Yeah, so it's purely just that, um, yeah, I had a friend who thought I would be good for it. And then, you know, I went in and interviewed and, you know, had the resume to back it up uh, and could speak to all of the different aspects of the show specifically. And how often is does that happen in Hollywood where like a line producer gets a director a job? You know, it happens pretty frequently for me. Yeah. I got a, a text from a friend the other day that was like, hey, I just ran into this DP that we both know and he's asking why you don't hire him more. And I was like, I will hire him on every job he gets me. <laughs> <laughs> Happily. Um, but DPs don't get director's jobs unless they are they are on a job and the director quits or something and everyone's like, anyone got any good ideas for replacements? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, usually the director hires the DP or the producer d- does, but they'll also hire the director so cool well that's yeah that's helpful to know well so i wanted to tell you uh the last thing i wanted to talk about today <clears throat> was about this thing i did also with the famous group which is a production company i work with but uh anyone can do it themselves we had a brainstorming session but it was a very structured brainstorming session basically i am gonna shoot a spec spot potentially with you if we can make the schedule work we can make it we'll work see how it happens, or maybe shoot a couple of sh- spots and one with you when you're not show running. Oh, I a show. see. <laughs> I see, Oren. And one without you while you are show running a show. Um, 
for the famous group, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, it was very important to shoot the right thing that is good for my reel mm-hmm. that will lead to new jobs. Um, so for me, it would be a spec commercial, but we really kind of narrowed it down to a 30 to 90 second piece that could be like a very short film or it could be a commercial or something in between. And so they said, Oren, please come in on Monday to the office. Please bring with you 10 ideas for commercials or short stories. Here are some brands we think are good to write specs for. Mm -hmm. They were like Zillow and like these companies that like everyone knows, but the marketing isn't super familiar to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, we think you, the way we sell you is a comedy guy that does VFX. So if we can come, every concept should be a comedic concept with with a good performance and a VFX element to it. And then they sent me like five sample commercials that they thought were really great um, that had comedy and VFX. So that was kind of what they gave me. And I was like, okay, whatever. So, of course, I didn't do anything until the morning of the meeting day. (laughs) And then I ran through my notes that I've been keeping. You know, I keep just like on my notes on my phone, like ideas. Basically came up with like 16 log lines. uh, And I brought them to the meeting. So at the meeting, there were six people, including me. And this guy, Jeff, who works for the company, ran this brainstorming session. And they said, look, we're going to spend one hour. Mm-hmm. And I knew when he said we're going to spend an hour that like nothing would come of it. Because I always go there and hang out sure. for an hour. And all we do is like chat about Just funny stories fuck, from our lives. Fuck around and like, oh, man, did you see this great spot and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. But it, this was like an hour on the dot. And it was like, okay, ready? And we are going. Okay, Oren, tell us your ideas one by one. Just one sentence on each idea. Mm-hmm. So I just went, okay, my first idea is secret agent dad. He's like a secret agent on his day off. And he, the way he treats his kid as house, you know, he would treat like a undercover murder or whatever, right? Um, next idea is this. Next idea is this. And so he would just like write the ideas on the board. Mm-hmm. Secret agent dad, the lint animator, the Zillow, the, the Zestimator, whatever it was, right? 16 different one word names for each idea on the whiteboard. It's a big whiteboard in the room. And then everyone's like, great, great idea, you know, good, good job, Warren, way to get through that. That probably took me like 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, and then I sat down and then Jeff said, okay, everyone stand up, move two seats to the right and sit down. (laughs) Like, okay, cool. We did that. Then he's like, okay, uh, we're going to go around the room one at a time. I want you to just name me three of these 16 ideas that are your favorite, just the name and that's it. And so he goes to David he's like, oh, I like truth and shadows and I like secret agent dad and i like mm-hmm. the zestimator and, and whatever, they can't right? they can't even like say i really ex- like the this of that or i don't i love that secret agent dad is really relatable but also action-packed he just says secret yeah. agent dad or like i feel like i've seen it before but i really like it so let let's mark that but you get three basically but you so, so wait oh sorry i want to clarify though did um you're not supposed to but people some people cheated is what yeah you're saying. or they'll be like I don't know if it makes sense, but I really like the lint animator, mm-hmm. right? Then he would just make a red check mark on each name. So he went around the entire room, six people. I was the last person, and I got to pick my three favorites. Sorry, explain um, to me why you moved chairs. Uh, so I asked him at the end. I was like, so what's that? I mean, it's fun for one. And he's like, well, it's just to get people moving, like, you know, to keep moving, keep the energy up. No one's, like, sitting there on their phone cool. or their laptop or sinking into the couch. Were people um, on their phones and stuff? Were they distracted? No, I mean, I guess no one was on their phone or on their laptop, but uh, I thought there is something fun about just like standing up and walking over and sitting down too. Sure. 
seats. But also next, yeah. good on all of them because they are busy people with a lot of incoming messages. And like a brainstorm only works if people are engaged. Right. And the reason it worked is because of this real specific like one hour limit. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows like we're blocked out our calendar one yeah. hour. And by the way, we had rescheduled this thing like three times because people they're like oh well two people can't make it at this time and something just came up for this person so they wanted a spot where everyone could schedule this entire hour really cool um and by the way like i think for our listeners if you're have some ideas of projects you want to work on and you want to like kind of get your friends to help you choose one and do this it totally you can do it with anyone buy some buy some pizza and, and like take notes because rather take some notes buy your friends some pizza or eat pizza right now while you're listening to the show it's all good i love pizza Sorry, keep going, Orin. Yeah, and I'll I'll find the the link that kind of spells out all these things because I'm I don't remember everything super specifically, but um, basically after each person picked three, we saw like kind of which pe- which idea people gravitated towards. Then we went around, you know, we did our movement one more time, Sorry, and then and Jeff said, "How many people are in the room?" Six. Is there a name for this type of brainstorming? Is it like oh, they're using the famous group method or i'll ask jeff but he told me this was, was the first time he ever did it and he had just done some research online cool uh, and he found this how, uh, how to effectively brainstorm or something like that yeah cool. so then okay so then everyone gets to ask me one question about an idea and then give one suggestion for an idea Ooh. they don't have to be the same idea mm-hmm. so everyone goes around and you know everyone's like oh only one like um but whatever it's like you know, sometimes people will sneak in a second one or something, but they they try to do it real, really compact and succinct and make people make hard choices. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I get to go. And at the end of that round, everyone gets to vote three times again. Oh, cool. Right. So, so we're like, first, we have kind of like our first instinct vote, but then it's like a more informed vote. Right. Well, and now it's uh, a smaller list, right? Or are they are you still voting on? No, I, after that, I think you can still vote on anything, but the okay. next round, gotcha. anything that hasn't gotten any votes gets eliminated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did like another round where it was like, we took like the three most popular ones and everyone's like, okay, um, what what do you guys like and dislike about each idea? Mm-hmm. We kind of did like two more rounds and then uh, we finished and we have this whiteboard with like all these check marks on it. And there's it's very obvious there's like three ideas that, Mm-hmm. everyone kind of agreed we're good for a certain reason. Um, and we talked about with what we would want to see from those ideas. Like one of them, I called it truth and shadows. It's kind of about where people are saying one thing, but their shadow is like doing the opposite mm-hmm. thing of what they're saying. And so I think it's like fun. I've been thinking about doing something with shadows for a long time. It's like performance based, yeah. but also visual. Um, and it did feel a little familiar to me, but I couldn't find anything about that. Peter and Payne. then at the end, Stefan, yeah, Stefan said Peter Pan. He's like, well, Peter Pan kind of has this shadow thing. And he's like, and there was this farmer's insurance commercial kind of did this thing. And not that it you can't do it, but it's like becomes really execution dependent. Mm-hmm. You have to do like a really new take on this idea. Um, and so, you know, at the end, we kind of have like a little conversation about like that on each thing. Mm-hmm. And then a few people even said like, by the way, I really like this idea, like your idea of doing like a one or with a drone that's like, handheld to drone to handheld back to handheld you know but i just don't i think you should do that but this just not right for your reel and what we need it for right right? in the end they um they're like okay we're done stop talking about it let's go have lunch we just like chatted about whatever the weather 
And then the next day they sent me an email with like a summary of all the ideas. Like Jeff had taken pictures of everything on the whiteboard. I took pictures of the whiteboard too that I feel like I wouldn't be happy sharing. I mean, they don't mean much if you weren't there because it's just like short names for each thing, right? The concepts aren't written out. Yeah, so now my job is to basically make like a pitch deck for the idea that I like the most out of the three that had the most votes and kind of given all this input that I had from people. And a few of the ideas had changed during that session. Right, right. They like, kind of oh, I like this, but what if you did it like mm-hmm. for this brand or you inverted it or something? What I love about that whole process is that I find, and I'm sure listeners can relate to this, but I find that sometimes you've got a lot of ideas and you like all of them, but none of them are like, the thing you were born to make necessarily. And you just want someone to be like, hey, this is the one I think you should make. And this is why. And this is why, right. And that is a hard, that's a hard ask for anybody. You know, like you have to really be intimately aware of a person's ambitions and resources and talents and all that stuff to make it work. So this is like a really structured way of receiving that information but in a constructive and collaborative way. So you get to, they get to prescribe, hey, here are the, here's the loose framework, give us some ideas. But then as a group, you kind of come to a conclusion that's both giving you the chance to vocalize in a couple different iterations why you like an idea or don't like an idea or the kernel of it. You help realize like what you like the most about it, um, but also the objectivity of knowing like, at least this audience of people who really care about your career think that these are the three best ideas you've got. Right. It's really and cool. the best compliment I got was, I like this idea because it feels like an Oren idea. Right. Oh, man. What, what a wonderful thing to hear. That's all you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want someone to tell you what you make them think of. Yeah. And then you can be like, yeah, that's true. It is an Oren idea. Yeah, and you know what it reminds me of, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, is in Jenna Fisher's book when she talked about headshots. Do you mm-hmm. remember? Sure, yeah. She said, ask your friends to name like five adjectives that describe you mm-hmm. and then go get headshots that, and give those adjectives to the photographer so that you are, it, it's very helpful, especially at the beginning of your career, if you are in tune with how people see you Yeah. so that you are, either subverting that in an interesting way or delivering that, but that you're not upset when people aren't giving you a job because they don't think you're right for it. Yeah. Right? I, you know what, what I love about that also is that she shows the headshot that really worked for her the first time that it really clicked, you know, um, and you look at it and you go, oh, I see how you bring that woman into play Pam Beasley. And then she also shows you her first professional headshots. And there's nothing wrong with those photos. Like, they're pretty and, like, you can tell they feel very of the moment. They're totally contemporary of that time. But you look at that and you're like, well, no, that's not what I know and love about Jenna Fisher as a performer. And right. it's it just help, it just really illustrates how hard it is to decode your own voice sometimes and how long that journey is. Yeah. My friend Liam Sullivan, who you know also, who used to be Kelly from that shoes video way back in the day. Let's get some shoes. Yeah. When he first moved to LA, he got headshots and everyone, he's kind of nerdy, you know, in real life. And everyone was getting like these super handsome, like how can I look the best possible? Yeah, sure. Hard to sort of stuff. 
Yeah, and he just went and went super nerd in his headshots, and he got so many auditions, and he booked so many roles in the beginning because like everyone wants to be the good-looking person um, and trying trying to be the good-looking person, but no one is like emb- a lot of people don't realize they should embrace their kind of natural tendencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it's re- I think it's really hard for there's a certain type of person that is very good-looking um, in the real world. You know, like they're great-looking at a party, you know? Right, like a model. N- no, that's not I'm saying like... Oh. <laughs> I'm saying they're not quite a model, but they look right. great. And that is the hardest thing, I think, for actors because like they've grown up being like very appealing-looking and especially with dudes if you don't have like washboard abs like literally the best abs you've ever seen in the world you don't get to be on a cw show in that role so don't shoot headshots that are trying to make you look like that do you know what i mean it's yeah almost every actor i know was like the best looking yeah person at their high school they were they were exactly (laughs) and they moved to la and they're like and uh, it is not a value shoot. of judgment. They are great looking, but I, you, sometimes you'll see dudes who get like extra ripped and it's kind of like they've got like movie star, they've got Captain America muscles, but they're never going to get cast as Captain America. And that's, yeah. that's a really hard thing. And I don't, you know, figuring out what you, what you makes you special and what makes you stand out. Maybe that's washboard abs, but if it's not, that's okay. Figure out the other thing. You know, right. I'm, I'm going to share one last personal story that's related to this. Sure, sure. And it's from our friend Ken Fuhr. Uh, he used to work in a production company, the company that made uh, Little Miss Sunshine and Hamlet 2. And they made all these like awesome movies. And he was talking to his bosses there, these big time Hollywood producers about his next step in his career. It was like one of his first jobs he got when he moved to Hollywood being their assistant. And then he worked his way up in that company. And they said, well, your path is, uh, you know, the the clearest path for you is either to go become a writer, write scripts, make your own stuff, or to go become a development exec. And they said, and based on the way you dress and carry yourself, we think the writer is probably the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Of course, now he's in development. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it wasn't like an insult at all. It was like, you're just like a casual person. Right. What they mean that to That loves say to talk that- about... There's a creative idea. There's an element of schmoozing that has to be part of development. You have to like development execs are writers who could, who would be bad agents basically. <laughs> right. Sure. Or writers that just like can't get anything done on their own, but are happy to give feedback on other people's. <laughs> I, don't, I think writing and giving notes and developing are three different disciplines. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, cool. Well, should we hop into unpaid, unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Oren, take it away. What you got? So I read this really super short article today on the New York Times called yeah. Matthew Weiner on Life After Mad Men, Sexual Harassment and His New Amazon Show. So it's Matthew Weiner had been accused of sexual harassment. They covered that in this article and also his new Amazon show called The Romanoffs. But... Matthew Weiner is most famous for creating Mad Men, and he, I think, was not the showrunner, and then he got kicked off the show, and then he like fought his way back onto the show, and I don't know. He had some tumultuous times, and he, the article is really interesting 
in that, like where he was like, I was a very tough boss, but I don't think I was abusive. Like I had been abused way more as a writer. I don't know. There's some interesting things about that. But the most interesting thing by far to me is like, I loved Mad Men. It's still one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it's so smart and so good and about so many things. And even just the title is like a genius title. But Matthew Weiner, who won all these Emmys for that show, said that as soon as the show was done, he had no ideas for another show. <laughs> he was literally like, I don't know. He's like, I, what am I going to make that's going to be good? And he said that he would just, for like months, he kept writing down ideas, like episode ideas and story arc ideas for Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just got to stop. I got to stop doing that. Sure. So he like vowed for six months, stop taking notes about like what happens in my life. Stop trying to find every single event oh, of my life and fit it into a story for my TV show. And then after those six months, he was like, okay, now I'm ready to write again. And he's like, but I just don't know what to write about. I've kind of fallen out of that pattern of Mm -hmm. like being constantly inspired. Yeah, he stopped going to the gym. Yeah. But I just love, you know, that the best people in Hollywood, by best, I mean, their work is really good. I can't speak to him personally, what kind of person he is. But that these people that make such masterpieces are then like, ah, I don't know what to write, you know? Mm -hmm. They, mm-hmm. they're just like us in that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's pretty great, Orin. That's a solid endorsement. Thanks. Um, what do you got? Um, so mine, um, I'm going to endorse something that feels, frankly, like uh, an Orin endorsement. So we I can't wait to be offended by this. <laughs> no, I think you're going to like it. Uh, I'm going to endorse a short, a YouTube short from 2009 called Panic Attack. Do you know this movie? I don't know. It sounds familiar. So, I mean, obviously, it's like this kind of generic name, but I feel like I've seen it. It is a DIY CG mixed media short by a director named Fede Alvarez that we talk about actually when we talk to the um, Short of the Week guys. They, they oh, yeah, referenced yeah. No, it. I've it's kind it. of yeah. like one of the early versions of um, one of those early internet sensations like. Yeah, didn't he get like to direct the. Dawn of the Dead reboot or something off of this? Um, I don't think D- D- James Gunn did Dawn of the Dead, but uh, he did Don't Breathe and oh yeah, um, he did Evil Dead. Yeah, he, oh, Evil he Dead, did yeah, Evil Dead reboot. Yeah, and he got that off this short. Yeah, um, and is it? Too, I mean, Don't Breathe is very good. Um, have you seen it, Orin? No, it's on my movie list. I think you would like see, it, but I think you would like it. I'm yeah. sure I would like it. I've seen. I've liked every movie pretty much on my list so far. Um, but you know. It's hard to it's hard to watch movies that your wife does not want to watch. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think she could get into it. You know, it's it's a scary movie, but uh, but super good. But yeah, so uh, Panic Attack uh, by Fede Alvarez. It what I like about it beyond just being like a solid little short is that it reminds me of an era that we talked about with the short of the week guys, where you know a cool VFX short could catch people's eyes. And uh, we've come a long way since then. Like a lot of those VFX um, don't totally stand the test of time. But, you know, it reminds me of like Tetraval, that Neil Blomkamp video. And like he had a handful of like uh, Live from Yorberg. Um, and it just kind of took me back and w- was one that I had somehow missed. So, yeah, um, there was a time when there was like this list circulating around Hollywood that had like all these like shorts that mm-hmm. um, these VFX driven shorts forget someone shared it with me but um like the guy that made the raven you know Mm -hmm, that movie mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's still impressive. Like you look at it, and it still it's looks like good. Yeah, there's still plenty of stuff. A that's robot awesome. destroying a city on like no money. Yeah, so that's awesome. Cool. Well, anyway, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you got any feedback, if you got questions, if you want to correct any of our many mistakes, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Just Shoot It Pod. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Pilot. And I'm at Mr. Matt Unlow. This episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Eoin Williams. And it was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. And before you go, please check out iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps people find the podcast. It helps us show up higher in the search results. And it just helps you, you know, get some writing done. Yeah. And a new forum. Yeah, there you go. Let's, um, let's see. Wow us with your prose. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the music you're listening to is from the artist Jazar and the Free Music Archive, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.